0: So we're continuing our series, where I got the whole idea is from this book by Jay Cardi called "Counterattack: Taking Back Ground Lost to Sin," and we've been talking about our enemy. Our enemy wants to destroy us, and and last week we talked about one of the big three, and and it's anger. One of the big three where we allow Satan to come into our lives and build not just a stronghold, but a fortress in our lives and its anger. And so what we said was you need to get rid of anger as soon as possible. You need to treat it like hot coals that you would have from a fire. You're not going to carry those things around. You're going to drop them as soon as possible. Because if you don't, you're going to open up the doors of your heart and you're going to say, demons of hell, come in and control me. You're not in control. The demons will be in control because you're allowing them to build a fortress there. Today, so, so I, think that, I think that anger is the most visible stronghold or fortress in the lives of Christians. That's what I believe. Today, we're going to talk about what is the most hidden stronghold, or so we think. The most hidden stronghold in the lives of Christians is sexual sin. And it's going to come out sooner or later. The, the devil tells you, no one's ever going to know. The devil, devil doesn't say to you that that no one in the history of the world has ever gotten away with sexual sin. You're going to be the first. He doesn't tell you that. He says no one will ever know. You can be in control, and that's just not true. God knows, and everyone in your world will eventually know. History is littered with people who, who were destroyed by sexual sin, and, and it doesn't even make sense. If we know all these people have fallen sexually, how do we get into the problem? Well, the, 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 the basic idea is... Temptation. And when we're talking about sexual sin, what the enemy of God uses is lust. And so let's define lust. Lust is a God-given desire that's gone haywire. God-given desire that's gone haywire. It's when an attraction moves into a sinful sexual action. Listen to me. Mentally, emotionally, or physically, sin has happened. And folks here are at different levels of lust. Some folks right now are freaked out about being found out. You're afraid that people are going to find out the truth about what's going on in your mind and your heart and your life, and you think that people are going to recoil in horror. That's one level. There are others who are recreational lusters. No big deal. Boys will be boys. I can check out the menu, but I don't have to order. If a good-looking woman comes across my zone, I'm going to look. I'm just admiring God's creation. Ask your wife if that's acceptable. She will say no. The other thing is, you're begging. When you do that recreational lusting, you open the doors to the enemy and you're daring this enemy of God to come in and control your life. Just hold on to me. Use my heart, use my life, use my arms, use my legs, use my body for the kingdom of hell to destroy people. Don't think that recreational lust is okay. And then there's some people that would call it thinking man's pornography. Victoria's Secret catalog. Or the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Addiction. I mean Addition. Recreational lusting seems harmless until you realize the enemy of God has a destination. Lust goes to sin, which goes to death. That comes straight out of Scripture, and we'll read it in just a minute. You never stand still when you lust. You're moving towards sin, and you're moving towards death. And the Scripture says, the wages of sin is death. No matter what level of sexual sin you're at, God, with God's help, you can be free and you can become pure. You may have given away your virginity. You cannot get physical virginity back. You can get spiritual virginity when you humble yourself before God. And he can wash you. The Bible says he washes you white as snow. When we confess our sins, he cleanses us and purifies us from all ungodliness. In your power, you're not going to have victory. But the scripture says the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is available to followers of his to restore them, to wash them, and to make them new. So let's just have some, a, a few statements today. Let's get this all out in the open. Number one is no one is immune to lust. No one is immune to lust. So let me just, let me just throw some out there. Have you ever heard of anyone in politics who's been overcome by lust and sexual sin? That never happens. What about um, school teachers? That never happens. More and more it's happening, right? It's crazy. What about the medical field? What about pastors? You've never heard of a pastor who's fallen to sexual sin, have you? There's not a single vocation on the planet where someone hasn't given in to lust, which leads to sin, which ends up in the death of a profession, the death of a marriage, the death of a family, the death of trust. We've got to pay attention. Let's just say that, that today I go out to eat and a beautiful woman comes across my field of view. Have I sinned because she walks in front of me? No, but the moment of truth has arrived. It's what I do next that will determine whether it's sin or not. I've got to choose which path I'm going to go down. And we did a series on this several years ago called The Principle of the Path. And just just the Principle of the Path says this: if you're on a path leading to destruction, and you continue on that path where will you end up destruction the path goes there it makes sense if you're on the path to purity and the path leads to purity where are you going to end up if you stay on that path purity just makes sense so we have two options when lust comes our way we can choose the path of lust where does it lead me it leads to destruction it leads to lies it leads to betrayal it leads to death I can choose the path, but if I choose that path, it will take me where I do not want to go. And these are the options. Here's what C.S. Lewis says in in The Great Divorce. And it has nothing to do with divorce. It's talking about heaven and hell. He says, I do not think that all who choose wrong roads perish but their rescue consists in being put back on the right road. This makes sense, right? You're headed down the wrong road, and if you're going to be rescued from going down the wrong road, you have to be put on the right road. Now look at this. He says, a sum can be put right, but only by going back till you find the error and working it afresh from that point. So if you're working a a math problem and it has 10 steps and you mess up on step two, are you going to get to the correct answer, at step ten? No, you have to go back to step two and correct it. You have to get on the right road because the principle of the path says if you keep following error, you're going to end up with error and death. If you follow truth, you're going to end up in truth. So he says that some can be be put right, but only by going back till you find the error and working it afresh from that point, never by simply going on. Evil can be undone, but the path to evil never develops into the path to good. It cannot. So the other path I have to choose is the path of purity. Where does it lead? Toward God. Toward intimacy with God and with others. Towards health, physically, spiritually, emotionally, towards wholeness, towards completeness, towards life. path of lust leads to death. The path of purity leads to life. Which one do you want to go down? you don't get these things on that path. You get them on the path to purity. So Jay Cardi says this in, in Counterattack. I thought this was cool. Whether young or old, sex can be a problem for you. And he, he's anticipating what you're thinking. But Jay, you might be thinking, I have this area of life under, under control. And he, has a, he have, has a very special Greek word for you. Hogwash. And I don't care how old you are. As a matter of fact, people don't seem to outgrow the problem. Age seems to make it worse. So if you're able to read this book or to listen to this series, you could use a good sex talk. It's probably been a while. And if you're like most people, you've previously messed up in this area. If so, you may have given the enemy a foothold or a fortress, and you're under attack, especially, especially, listen to this, especially if the ground you gave was your virginity. And and let me tell you why. God prizes purity and virginity more than any other act of obedience, which makes destroying it the number one priority of the enemy of God. So Satan hates virgins and purity. And I don't know if you know much about the church of Satan, but they do all the opposites of Christianity. So we worship the cross they worship an up-down, upside-down peace symbol cross, you know, with the arms broken, so the upside-down peace symbol, that's what they worship. They worship a goat instead of the lamb. And their number one act of worship is the virgin sacrifice. Killing someone who, who is a virgin. And, and you cannot get married in the church of Satan unless you've had intercourse. Satan's desire is to brutalize the virgin birth of Christ. That means one of his highest goals is to steal your virginity, and then his next highest priority is to get you into sexual immorality. And and I don't know if you know this. You probably do because you're here, but, but our sin nature is transferred to us from our fathers. That means I got my sin nature from my dad. I'm not, guilty of sin. I'm not guilty of my dad's sins. I'm guilty of my own sin. But my daddy gave me my sin nature. Your daddy gave you your sin nature as well. That's why Jesus had to be born of a virgin. He couldn't have a physical father because then he would have the, the sin nature and he would have to die for his own sin. So he couldn't die for yours and mine. Do you see why the enemy of God hates purity and hates virgins? He wants to steal that from you. And it also explains why the enemy of God spends so much time and effort perverting virginity. Here's what the Scripture says. Paul says this to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6, 18 and 20. Don't think that they were better than us. They're, they're just as immoral as we are. In fact, they had temples where prostitutes were out there, and that was how you worshipped. was, guys, sorry, honey, I'm going to church. That's that Greek word again, Hogwash. You may be going to the church of Satan, but you're not going to the church of God if you're going to have sex as part of your worship. Here's what Paul says. Run from sexual sin. Take off. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Imagine spiritually taking a knife and just stabbing your soul. That's what sexual sin does to you. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who who lives in you and who is given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Now, we talked about anger last week. The first step in anger is a seed of bitterness that gets into your heart. And when you allow bitterness to grow in your heart, the enemy of God begins building that fortress from which he controls you. Bitterness is the outcome of premarital sexual encounters. Ephesians 4.31 says, get rid of it. This is what we talked about last week. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger. Get rid of those smoldering coals. Some of you coupled too soon, and you gave the enemy of God the opportunity to build a fortress in your life. And you may have confessed it to God, and you're forgiven by God, but if you've never commanded the enemy of God to get out of the fortress, it's like if I own a house, and I own several rent houses, and I've had to foreclose, not foreclose, I've had to, what is it? Evict, thank you. I've had to evict people. I own the house, but until the court says, yep, they're behind on their payment and you have the right, I've had twice, I've had to have the constable go with me and stand guard while I remove someone's stuff from my house. You can be forgiven of sin, and you still allow Satan to be in there because you coupled too soon, because you disregarded what God said about virginity and purity. And so you're forgiven of God, but there's still a stronghold. That alien is still in your soul, and you have to command him to get out. And what happens when you couple too soon is there's a root of bitterness because you know in your heart you weren't supposed to do that. So confess and then command. If you want freedom and forgiveness, you'll have to want a relationship with Jesus more than you want to continue in your sin. you got a choice to make. Do I want to continue in sin or do I want to be right with God? Do I want to keep heading down the path and everyone's telling me I'm on the path, but I'm going to be the first person in history to go down this path and not be hurt? You got to decide: do I want that or do you want cleansing and purity and forgiveness and restoration and meaning and purpose in your life? The choice is very important because here's what Proverbs 28, 13 says. People who conceal their sin, they're not really concealing their sin. God knows and, and probably a lot of people in your life know. People who conceal their sins will not prosper. God says, I will be against you. David, and we're going to talk about him in just a minute. David said when he refused to confess his sins, his body wasted away. Because God says, you're not going to get away with your sin. People who conceal their sins will not prosper. But look at this. If they confess and turn from them, confess and turn from them, you can't just say, yeah, I'm an angry person, deal with it. No, you have a stronghold. You have to confess it, renounce it. So if I have a sexual sin, I need to confess it and renounce it. And then I'll receive mercy from God. And here's the the scary part. If you don't confess it and renounce it, the Bible says God gives you up. The worst four words in Scripture is God gave them up to their sexual sin. Read in Romans. Gave them up to their sexual sin, and they destroyed themselves because of sexual sin. Now, lust and sex always follow a pattern, and it always begins in the mind. The battle is always in the mind. See, we have two painters in our minds one is Satan and he's painting impure images he wants to bring up those images at improper times or inopportune times the other p- the painter if you're a follower of Christ is the Holy Spirit and he wants to paint everything that's pure the question is which one wins out which painter wins out and and, and the honest truth is whichever one you supply and let's be honest many of us are supplying Satan with all kinds of impure images through the the TV shows we watch, the movies we watch, the music we listen to, the places we go on the internet, we're giving him stuff so that it's real easy for him to control the strings and say, run back to sexual sin because you're just filling your mind with the things of hell. But others of us are supplying the Holy Spirit with with godly things. Whichever painter gets the most supplies from you is the one that's going to win out in your heart and your mind. And whatever gets your attention eventually I don't know why this is cutting out. So we talked about this a while back. I've been bluebell free for about four months now. Now there's going to be a day. Actually, I've set a goal for how much weight I lose when I can have bluebell again. Because, you know, this isn't a beer belly. This is a blue belly, right? You understand that. And so I've lost 15 pounds and that wasn't even the main goal. But I just, the reason I gave up so August 1st, when we started this series, I gave up Bluebell. And it was because I don't want to be mastered by anything other than God. I love Bluebell. I'm not going to talk about it. Get, got to change, change channel because I'm going to want some Bluebell. So we said that if, if I buy Bluebell and I take it home and I put it in my freezer and then I fall on my face before God right before my freezer, oh, God, help me not to eat that Bluebell, how much power is in my prayer? Zero. Zero. I've got bluebell in my freezer, so I am I am praying. I've already decided to live against my prayers. So I thought this was interesting. Rachel said that, that she and Matt had decided not to have Dr Pepper for a month, for thirty days. And I don't know what all happened, but they went to was it um, was it Waterburger? They went to Waterburger, and I don't know why they ordered in the middle of this month off of Dr Pepper. They ordered Dr Pepper, and Rachel said they drove home, and, and they're like, Ah, oh, we don't need. We said we weren't going to do this, and so she she walks in, you put them on the counter. They ordered tea, and they were out. I'll get the story right, Dad. Did you hear the exasperation in her voice? Get it right, Father. Um, so they ordered tea, but they were out, and then you ordered Dr. Pepper? Matt ordered Dr. Pepper, and Rachel looks at him, because it was Matt's decision not to have Dr. Pepper. So she's like, okay. And so anyway, they take it home, and they, they had a decision to make, and she said, if we put these in the fridge, we have Bluebell in our freezer. So they poured them out, and I said, my child listens to me when I preach. There's a God, right? I thought that was cool. Dr. Pepper in my cup, bluebell in the freezer. Here's what I'm trying to get to you, especially for men. Magazine comes in the mail. You might resist it at first. You have no intention of looking at that magazine, but you take it inside and you say, "Well, well, my wife might want to look at it later. So you put it in wherever you put your magazines. And then you get mad at your wife or your wife get mad, gets mad at you. And it's been a while since you've been fulfilled sexually. And you know what the enemy of God does? He says, check out the magazine. She's not paying attention to you. You deserve it. Go ahead. No one's going to know. And it won't be long till, in a moment of weakness you give in. And you sin sexually. And you've supplied Satan the images so you need to make it some decisions. I'm going to get rid of those magazines before they ever you know, burn the thing. Because I know guys that have thrown it in the trash and gone and dug it out of the trash. What Satan doesn't tell you is that sin always overpromises and always underdelivers. You can have the world with no consequences, but there are consequences. Let's read about David. King David, the greatest king in the history of Israel before Jesus Christ. Second Samuel 11, 1 and 2. In the spring, when kings normally went out to war, when kings normally go where? This is real important. When kings normally go where? In the spring, when kings normally go out to war, where's David? David sent Joab. Joab is the commander of his army. His servants and all Israel. They destroyed the Ammonites and attacked the city of Rabbah. But David stayed in Jerusalem. Where should the king be at times of war? Hello, where where should the king be? In war. One evening, David got up from his bed. So I'm just thinking... David's bored. David is a warrior. He didn't get to build the, the temple of God because God said, you're a man of bloodshed. I'm going to let your son build the temple. You're not going to get to do it because you've shed so much blood. He's a warrior. He's laying in bed and he's bored. He wasn't where he's supposed to be. And he's bored. He gets up and walks around to the roof of his palace. While he was on the roof, what are those two words that I have highlighted? He saw A woman bathing. And here's what I love about the scripture. Look at the next four words. She was very beautiful. It wasn't an ugly woman that got his attention. Scripture doesn't say, she was a dog. She was beautiful. And listen to me, he was attracted and there was no sin at that moment. It's what he did next that was sinful. David says, he sends a servant, and he says, go find out whose wife she is. So already he knows. Go find out whose wife she is. Comes back, Uriah the Hittite. Uriah was an incredible man. He was a warrior, one of David's best. Should have been the end of it. Oh, Uriah, my friend Uriah. I can't jack with his wife. Mm-mm. She was beautiful. and She captured his imagination, and he lusted for her. And lust led to sin. He committed adultery with her. Go get her. And, and some people think that maybe he, uh, he raped her because she was another man's wife and you did whatever the king said. We don't know any of that, but that's a possibility. But we know he got her pregnant. And when she got pregnant, David began to scheme. And he comes up with an idea and he, he sends a letter with Uriah. He tries to bring Uriah home. And Uriah is just a, such a man of God that he won't even go to his wife. He said, my brothers are out at war. My brothers are where, at war where I should be. And David's like, go sleep with your wife. Because he thought if you go sleep with your wife, no one will know whether it's my child or yours. Go sleep with your wife. And he said, God forbid. So he goes and he sleeps outside at the king's doorstep. King says, stay home. You know, don't go back to war yet. Gets him drunk. Go home and be with your wife. And he goes out and he sleeps at the doorstep. I'm not going to go out and have sexual relations with my wife when my brothers, where I should be, are at war. So David feels like he has no choice, and and so he he writes a letter to Joab, who is not a good guy at all, and he says, put Uriah closest to the wall, and when the fighting is fiercest, pull everybody back so so that Uriah will die at the hands of the Ammonites, and that's what happened. The giant killer, David and Goliath, we love that story. The man after God's own heart lusted, and he sinned, And Bathsheba's husband died. And the son that that he impregnated Bathsheba with, he died. And eventually three more of David's sons die. Remember that. How many sons? The son of Bathsheba, that was David's. Three more sons die. Four sons. How many sons died? Remember that because we're going to come back to it in just a minute. The man who wrote many of the Psalms became immoral and he fell because the set of circumstances were designed for him. And he wasn't where he was supposed to be. He wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. And he fell. And if the circumstances are right, you will fall too. You have to realize that. And, and you need to know David's whole body was used for sinful purposes. His eyes lusted. He, he had sex with her. His mind plotted a wicked scheme against Uriah, the husband. His hand signed a cowardly order for Uriah to be killed. Remember I told you, lust always has a destination. Lust leads to sin, which leads to death second big statement for today is our sex drive is from God, which means it's a good thing. Sex is a God-given desire. So is my desire for water. Water is good, but too much water, what can happen to me? Do you know that that some of the the fraternities and colleges, instead of getting their their, um, pledges drunk, they made them drink five gallons of water from one of those water jugs, and a couple of young men died because they had too much water? They died from water. You can die from sex as well. My desire for food is good, but too much will kill me. I have a picture here, and I want you to tell me what's going on in this picture. Go ahead. What's happening? It's not a trick question. What's happening? House is burning down. What do you think happened to the house? I mean, we're just speculating. What happened to this house? It caught on fire. How did it catch on fire? Thank you could be electrical problem could be a candle wife can't cook oh dear god um that's going to be next week's sermon Dave, be sure and be here um (laughs) how not to put your foot in your mouth in the middle of a sermon um let's let's just use our imaginations and let's say that they started a fire in the fireplace but the fire didn't stay in the fireplace is that a possibility sure fire is good has enormous potential for good. It provides warmth. It provides light. How many of you, you had your fire going during snowpocalypse this last year? Yeah, we, were, we went and got food and sat in front of it. Me, Janie, and Hannah are sitting there eating, and, and it had all the light we needed and all the warmth we needed right there. We were loving that. We could have cooked on it if we needed to. Provides protection from the cold. Fire has so much upside when it's in the right place. It has so much Danger when it's not. When it jumps out of the fireplace, the place for which it was created, it creates devastation. Places that are not designed to handle fire, it's bad. Sex was designed by God to provide warmth, connection within the confines of marriage. Outside of marriage, it does this. And then I don't know how many times you've seen it. I've seen it so many times, it's startling to me that a house is burned down and this will be the only thing left. Fire was designed to be inside the fireplace. It got out the fireplace. And the fireplace is the only thing that's still standing. There is nothing casual about sex. The enemy of God wants to taint it and remove you from remove it from all the safe places. All right, I've asked Janie to come up here and help me. It's my beautiful wife, and she doesn't have to talk. She doesn't have to say a thing. Janie and I were virgins when we got married. That's thirty years ago, so we're no longer virgins. Um, <laughs> just so you know. By the way, that uh, marriage night the other night—that was one of the best sex talks I've ever heard. Those of you who were at marriage night, that was awesome. Anyway, okay. So, hang on. I'm gonna I'm gonna put a J on this one for Janie. Put a D on this one for Doug. God intended sex to bond two individuals together for life. Now, imagine how sticky this is. Y'all know duct tape, right? It fixes everything if you're a redneck, right? So this is really, really sticky. Now, let's just imagine for a second that that Doug tries to bond with every girl he's ever dated. Now, I dated a lot of girls. I did not have sex with them, so I can go back to any reunion, anytime at Borger, Texas. There's nothing awkward because I didn't connect with them. There are guys that can't go back to Borger, Texas because they connected with a lot of women. It'd be weird. I was in church with a guy one time. This not here, not here. It could happen here, but not here. And he started saying, uh, I've been with her, I've been with her, I've been with her. And I'm going, how do you go to the same church? They're married and have... Anyway, bizarre. Okay, let's say, what happens to duct tape if I go and I stick it on every person in the room? How how much bonding agent is left on my duct tape? Zero. And so the sex which was supposed to bond me together with my wife is no longer even special. It's casual. And there's nothing casual about sex. But if I wait, and and if, if you've not had sex before and you're not married, don't have sex until you get married. 30 years... I've been with this woman. And the bonding that that our sex had on our wedding night and and that there's no one else for me. So we said, I do. The Bible says the two become one flesh. You got two people up here, right? Very obviously two people. But when we came together physically, we were bonded together for life. Now, have you ever tried to take two two pieces of duct tape apart once they've been let's let's try this, baby. That's how much I got. Come on, girl. (laughs) You get the point, right? We're bonded for life because God designed sex between one man, one woman for a lifetime. We had no stinking clue what we were doing. No clue. And I remember we had this conversation. So we, we get to the hotel after my brother says, and I'll pronounce you husband and wife. <laughs> we go, what are you going to do? And and I said to her, I said, this is bizarre. I said, are you having the feelings I'm having? I said, 30 minutes ago, this was against God's law. And my brother, who was a pastor at the time, said, I now pronounce you husband and wife. And I said, now it's legal. And it was weird, wasn't it? But I've never forgotten bonding with my wife. And it, it makes it special. The enemy of God does not want sex to be special. And so he'll do everything he can to get the fire outside of the fireplace so that he destroys your life and so that there's no bonding agent between you and the person you're supposed to marry. Janie and I got married in a covenant. And do you know how you get out of a covenant? Yeah, do the the background. There you go. You know how you get out of a covenant? one or both of you dies. I'm not to have sex outside of marriage. I'm not to use this God-given desire in a God-forbidden way. When I do, devastation happens every time. We think we're so smart, though. And so we ask this question. I was a youth minister, so I heard this question in youth ministry forever. We ask this question. How close to the fire can I get without being burned? Or, or, or how far is too far? That's a dumb question. That's a wrong question. It's like if, if I have a box up here and a rattlesnake's in it, how many times can I touch the bottom of the box before I get bit by the rattlesnake? I don't know. I don't care. If you're an idiot, find out. It's like how many licks to the center of a, of a Tootsie Pop. All right. y'all, y'all are too young for that. How many times can I stick my hand in there? How many times can I run through the lion cage before I get eaten? Well, go find out. Idiot. The right question is what will make me more like Jesus? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about today, and you've been burned, and you have scars. Here's here's a message of hope. We're going to fly through this last part. In Joel 2.25, God is talking to the Israelites and he says, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. The the Israelites have sinned. They've messed up. They have violated all of God's laws. And so God sent a horde of locusts. And I don't know if you've ever seen a horde. I mean, it's like the sun is darkened and they ate everything in the land because they'd sinned against God. And and here's what God says. When you repent, I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. Now, it doesn't mean you get your, your... physical virginity back, but you can get spiritual virginity back, and he can bless you from this point forward. So I thought it was funny that, that Tommy and the skit guys said LSD. Well, there is a, a biblical LSD. Let's read about it. James 1, 13 through 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enti- enticed by his own Carried away means like when we had uh, family worship out at Lakeview. I got there a little bit early and I went and fished off the dock and I didn't think I was going to catch anything. I caught five bass. I throw the same worm and I entice those fish. Do you think those fish are going, woohoo, good tasting worm. Hello, Doug. No, they're going, oh no, my life is over. Now I was nice and I threw them back in, but they still had scars. Because they were enticed. Their little fish brain said, that plastic worm that, that smells like garlic, because it, it was a Berkeley power worm, you know, so it has garlic on it. Mm, mm, mm. It almost cost them their lives. Sin is fun for a season, the Bible says, but be very sure your sin will always find you out. That's what the Bible also says. So we're enticed, carried away by our own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. There's the S. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Satan always takes what is good and perverts it. Sex is good. It was God's idea he created. But Satan wants to pervert sex because he wants to pervert you. That's the goal. Here's number three. We can't overcome alone. Most of the power of lust is in its secrecy. When we drag it into the light, James, the half brother of Jesus said, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. You're not going to get healed on your own. You need one or two Christians that you can trust, that you can confess. Celebrate Recovery is all about Christian recovery. And part of that is confessing our sins to people we can trust. So I can promise you this, whenever, whenever you share with people in this room, your sin, not a single person here will recoil in horror. We will be We will be cheering you on because of your courage and because you're about to be restored in God's presence. Here's what happened with David. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. This is in 2 Samuel 12. When he came to him, he said, there were two... So Nathan is a prophet. He comes to King David after... David doesn't admit his sexual sin for nine months. He thinks he's gotten away with it. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there are two men in a certain town and one rich and one was poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle. The poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had brought. He raised it and it grew with him and his children. He, he shared, his food. It shared his food, drank from his cup and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now, Now, a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. Do you think that's fair? Not at all. David burned with anger against that man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over. How many of David's sons died? Four. He pronounced God's judgment on himself. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you're the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel, delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah and all of this. If this had been too little, I would have given you more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his sight? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, this is God's judgment. The sword will never depart from your house. David's own sons tried to kill him because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. He will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. This was Absalom, his son. He did this later. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said, this is awesome. David said to Nathan, I have sinned. Not I made a mistake. Not I had a lapse in judgment. Not I had a moment of weakness. I sinned. Look what... Nathan says, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replies, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die, although you deserve it. But because by doing this you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. This was the first of the four sons. First Corinthians 6, 8 says, run away from sexual sin, no other sin. So clearly affects the body as this one does, for sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. If you knew that fire was raging and running towards this building right now, what would you do? You would run. Would you worry about the projector? Would you worry about the the? You worry about your kids. We'd go get our kids and run. I'd be beating y'all back there to get Waylon getting out of the building. We don't need to. We need. We don't need to sit there and go, hmm. Should I be talking to this person with whom I have a sexual weakness? That's just foolishness. Potiphar's wife grabbed Joseph day after day and said, sleep with me. When she grabbed his clothes that last time, you know what he did? This was day after day, probably for 10 years or so. She was trying to get him to sleep with her. And when she grabbed his clothes, he runs out. He ran. They weren't having sex when he's running. That's just practical. Run. Because here's the fourth thing, and then we're done. Ignorance or arrogance will destroy you. Most of us don't know when we're most vulnerable or why we're most vulnerable, and our enemy does. He doesn't play fair. We don't know the predictable pattern that lust takes. And so here's what Jesus said. Here were his words. Be as wise as snakes and as innocent as doves. We need to become informed. We need to know the trigger points. Like if you're driving by something and you have a weakness, quit driving that way. If you're going to get coffee and you know that somebody always comes at that point to to get their coffee, quit drinking coffee. We can fix this. Our enemy doesn't play fair. If, um, if some person at the gym or at work or friends trigger lust, you got to get away from them. Mentally, you got to quit supplying Satan with all of the paint to destroy your life. And then we need to really promote the consequences of lust. What will happen if you continue you down your path of, of sin, the path of lust? How close are you to the flames? Lust always follows a pattern. Recreational lust doesn't strengthen your marriage or your family. So do you want your your life to look like the chimney is the only thing that's left? Do you want to look your children in the eyes and say, I violated my vows before God. Do you want to look your spouse in the eyes? We have to promote the consequences of sin and say it is not worth it. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you stir up in folks, whether they're listening online or in the room, to want to be pure. And if they've given up virginity, God, to come back spiritually and be washed as white as snow. Teach us that we've got to own up to our sins. It's not a mistake. It's sin. It's violating the commands of a holy God. But, Father, I'm praying that you will begin to restore people right now and that they'll humble themselves before you, and you'll raise them up to walk in newness of life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have two baskets at the back. One is our joy basket. It's where we give. We can give online, nlccp.com. Don't forget, if you give to Benevolence over the next three months, all of the money that goes there goes to Lake Charles. Um, remember, the backpacks are at the back. Remember to sign up for all of the different teams for Be the Church. And then we also have a registration card basket. If you have prayer concerns, write those on the back. Put them in there. I'm the only one that will see those. Unless you say it's okay, then our prayer team will pray over that. Stand up, hug four people, tell them you love them. You're dismissed.